Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Donald McIntyre, and this is Click for Murder, the companion podcast to CBS Reality's new television series. Now, throughout this series, we're revealing some of the most disturbing crimes of recent history, where the internet has been used as a tool to trick, torture, and to kill innocent victims lured into a virtual world where nothing is quite what it seems. On today's episode, we look at the case of Stefano Brizzi, the Satan-worshipping ex-city worker who used a gay dating app to lure policeman Gordon Semple to his death. He then set about disposing the body in a way that left everyone shocked and sickened. But why did Brizzi become a murderer? And why did Gordon Semple, a man who appeared to have a stable family life and a respectable job, risk it all for a quick sexual thrill? Well, joining me to discuss the Stefano Brizzi case are Dr. Elizabeth Yardley, the Director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Welcome, Liz. Hi. And we also have clinical forensic psychologist Mike Berry. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Let's first get some background on our victim, PC Gordon Semple, who led an intriguing double life. On the face of it, he is a respectable, hard-working policeman with a stable long-term partner and a happy family life. Nigel Lewis was a former colleague. Gordon was a soft, sort of like a, a sort of teddy bear in a way. He spoke more about his family, I think, than about himself ever. He was always telling me about going back up north and, and seeing his family in Scotland. Just a very kind gentleman. I think Gordon was seen as like a dad or a brother, elder brother in some ways. You went to Gordon for advice. But away from work, Gordon was secretly an avid user of the online dating app Grinder, an app for gay men seeking casual sex 24-7. Now, Liz, what can we read into this double life? You could argue that Gordon wanted the, the best of both worlds. He wanted that domesticity at home in that long-term relationship. But I think he also perhaps craved a bit of excitement as well. So, so I think that's why he started using these websites and these apps. What was interesting was he had a, a gay relationship for 25 years standing, but he played straight man in the police force. So he's already spending half his time playing a role that he's not comfortable with. As for the grinder, I think that's uh, simply it's exciting sex. Sex with your partner over 25 years gets boring for most people. By having grinder, he's getting sex without any threat to his relationship. He, he wants to obviously maintain his relationship, but he wants a bit on the side. 
Very efficient way to do it. I get the efficiency and the consumerism related to Grinder. I want it now instant gratification. But what about this sense that the sense of element of danger that uh, comes with these sites, particularly the fact he's living a secret life? I don't think the danger is physical. I think the danger is more a sense of being caught out. I think the excitement of having some unusual sex, because he did like it uh, rough and ready, but I don't think he would be going in expecting anything more than rough and ready sex. He's not expecting to get killed, for instance. On Grindr, you can choose the type of sex you're, you're simply into. And it's clear that Gordon liked to be dominated. What is the significance in this? That that would lead to him being in some quite vulnerable positions when he, he went to hook up with, with men that he met on this app. So, so he's saying, well, I'm, I'm the one who, who likes to give up control, essentially. And when you're meeting somebody who you don't know, you don't know their background, you don't know their history, that is quite risky. And on Grindr, for those who are not au fait with it, it's very easy to set up a profile and you can set it up with very limited information and indeed fake information. Yes, that's the problem with it, is that you can fake it. But people often fake to hide their status, such as in this case, you know, if you've got a policeman who's pretending to be straight, then he's going to hide that. But people will use it to present themselves in a better light. It's no different than any other mating and dating situation. When you're trying to find a partner, you're going to make yourself look better than you are. It's a simple technique to do. Now, that kind of division between his true personal life, he was gay and he had a long-term partner, and the sense that his partner was completely unaware of his use of Grinder. Gordon obviously wanted to continue that long-term relationship. He obviously loved his, his partner and he, he didn't ch- want to risk that. He cherished that. That was important to him. And as I'm keen to say, is that he was every bit the person that he was in that relationship and that Nigel Lewis said, but he wanted something extra. Well, he appeared to, didn't he? And, and that's why it seems that he was using Grinder. And perhaps the, there was the, the sense in which there was this kind of darker side, essentially. There's these things that he was interested in that he didn't feel comfortable having you know, his partner know about because their relationship wasn't about that. It, it was about something else. Now, a lot of people, there's, a, there's an element to this, to a sense of social media and some of these gay dating sites and apps we've seen an addictive quality to them. And I wonder whether, are we seeing a little bit of that here? Oh, without any doubt, it's addictive. If you're looking for sex and you're getting the sex that you actually want rather than the sex that you normally have in a relationship, then that's going to encourage you to use the Grinder or any other mating and dating webpage. And it is addictive because you're getting instant results. And that's ideal. From a, from a psychologist's point of view, we talk about intermittent reinforcement. But here, you're getting reinforced almost every time. You're getting what you want, which is very, very addictive. How interesting, how significant is the fact that he was repressed about his sexuality while in the police force? Oh, I think that's very significant because he's got to play the straight man. There's no reason, Actually, there's no reason why he should have played the straight man. The police force are now accepting gay police officers as, as a matter of fact. But he came in, obviously, 25, 30 years ago when the, the situation was completely different. So I can understand that he wouldn't want to come out. He'd carry on playing the role that he'd played, and that's it. But going on to Grindr, it's actually quite safe for him in a bizarre way, because he's not threatening his relationship with his long-standing partner. He's not threatening his police job. He's actually adopting a third role, 
and that's safe and it's within the confines of the internet and the confines of the partners mm. he does he, and they're never likely to bump into each other again they're never likely to drop into, into a conversation at work in many ways it's a safer method mm. than he's maintaining quite a distinct separation between these elements of his life isn't he so he's he's got this one social identity at home he's got uh, another one at work and then there's there's this identity that that revolves around grinder so he's fulfilling different needs not not always his own needs you know if he's he's playing it straight in the police service then he he's not thinking about him himself i think but this separation doesn't quite ring true for me when i look at his work cuz there he is he's at work community policeman you know well-liked, well-loved by the community. And at the same time, he's constantly on Grinder. So those worlds seem to fuse. And then he jumps off to have sex with a stranger on work time. And so, you know, there doesn't quite seem to be the separation that you're suggesting. Am I... Well, I think we tend to think of separation in, in a specific way, don't we? But when we throw the internet in there, we kind of, we blur those boundaries around time and, and space and, and geographical proximity um, that the way that we used to think of, of separating things, it doesn't really apply as much as it used to. But what do we know of Stefano Brizzi, his killer? He was born in Italy and came to the UK later in his life, moving here in 2012. However, it's his religious upbringing that is perhaps the most significant and intriguing factor in this case. His Catholic beliefs appear, Mike, to have greatly impacted on how he viewed his sexuality. He's on a loser. He's Catholic in a very Catholic country. He is gay in a Catholic country. Go back 30, 40 years when he was a young man, he would not have been allowed to be gay. So why did he just take particular concern at this? Because there are plenty of gay men in Italy who don't suddenly decide that they are now the uh, kind of Satan-esque... It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think he he will have grown up with these very fixed ideas of what is virtuous and what is sinful. And he'll be learning from a a very young age that what you will will grow up to to be as a gay man is something that is is not acceptable. So he's got this kind of very strict black and white, sinful or virtuous, and he's very much in, in the former category. But did he feel that people didn't respect him? Did he think that he was going to be perpetually sinful because he was gay on the inside? Well, of course he would be. If you're brought up as a Catholic and indoctrinated that uh, being gay is wrong... But, but I mean, it was even beyond that. It was, he thought he was kind of derived from Satan. Well, because he would have had people saying that to him. Go back 30, 40 years ago, when you were a young man in in Catholic Ireland, you would have heard the same conversations about people and it would have been very much indoctrinated in him that he was wrong. You know, he would have been seen as committing a crime against God. That makes him Satan in his thinking. And you have that concept of exclusion as well. So he's going to feel he's not included. He's different. He's other. He's not like the rest of us. And, and I think that's something that's going to stay with him. Did he come here to escape? I would have thought he would have seen it as a great opportunity to develop his sexuality. He, he was coming over here for a well-paid job. He had everything going for him. He must have thought he had it made. Was he brainwashed by his religious upbringing or was he actually mentally unwell? I don't think it's either of those two things. I think here we've got somebody who has grown up in a country where there are very specific ideas about what is right and what is wrong. 
But he's left that country. He's been exposed to other points of view, other ways of life. So he knows that it's okay to be gay. So even if he did, as a, a young man, as a teenager, buy into this idea that he was sinful, I don't think he'd be believing that years later when he's living in London. In London, he got a job as a developer for Morgan Stanley, and this was a good and respectable job. But like Gordon Sample, he also had a double life. And away from work, he used the gay dating apps for sexual encounters. But I think crucially here, he also became addicted to crystal meth, Liz. This is methamphetamine. So it's it's a stimulant and it increases the, the levels of, of dopamine in the brain. So people who take it, they become quite energised. They become quite active. And it is used in that, that recreational way. But if somebody's using it, long term like he appeared to have been it can have quite an impact on how people think how they understand how they learn how they remember it really is quite a powerful drug how significant was his use of crystal meth i think the problem here is he became addicted to it it's a very addictive drug you can get addicted to it very very quickly but the problem is the advantages for for somebody taking it, are tremendous. And that's why they take it, because it does improve their sex life, it does keep them aroused for much longer, and therefore they're going to continue to take it. But he was risking this promising new start in London, away this, from this apparent religious torment at home, and then becomes addicted to gay dating apps and drugs, Liz. Those things aren't completely separate worlds. If, if you look at banking and finance, you do find that, that some elements of that profession are quite hedonistic. And you've got guys making quite a lot of money, wanting to show off the fact that they're making quite a lot of money. And, and you often see drugs and, and sex involved in, in those kind of things. Britty's drug use eventually caused him issues. His state of mind was affected and he started having hallucinations at work. Realising that things were getting out of hand, he then attended a self-help group for crystal meth addicts. But within the sanctuary of the therapy group, Britsy shared some alarming details of what he liked sexually, and he talked about tying people up and being violent. However, things didn't improve. He eventually lost his job and was on grinder all the time. You know, his life was falling apart as he was struggling with his crystal meth addiction and it seems, his addiction to sex and to Grindr. Yeah, Grindr is very addictive uh, because you're getting instant results. Uh, the drugs are very addictive, getting instant results. You can see the connection quite clearly. And he's being successful. There are men out there who want to be tied up. So he's finding the right kind of people who want to engage in the sex he's wanting. It's a win-win. And I think that the fact that he's sharing quite intimate information at this therapy group says that the line for him between fantasy and reality is becoming a little bit of a blurred one. As to his psychological state, losing his job is going to increase his dependency on drugs and on grinder on other things to fill in his, his life in many ways. So for him, it opens up all of this time. And, and how does he fill it in? Well, it, it gets rather dark, doesn't it? There are some key red flags here, even at this early stage, Liz. What stands out for you? For me, his methamphetamine use, he's, he's using it an awful lot and he's clearly addicted to it. And, and what about the disclosures of those violent fantasies? But even the fact that he didn't have the self-control to manage those disclosures within that group. I think the fact that he was disclosing what, what he liked sexually within a, a therapy group of methamphetamine users, that to me suggests that boundaries around what's socially acceptable to say and what's not socially acceptable to say aren't really there for him. They're starting to blur. 
I see an escalation in, in terms of the sex he's having, the violence he's engaging in. Well, again, we're not quite sure how much violence is in his fantasy world and how much fantasy is in his real world. But I suspect... At it, this stage. At this stage. But I suspect that he's moving away from fantasy and actually starting to engage in reality. And there would be punters out there quite happy to satisfy that, that reality for him. On April 1st, 2016, the double lives of Britsy and Gordon Semple would come together via the dating app Grinder. During his shift at work, PC Semple used Grinder to look for a local sex hookup. He said he was looking for, I quote, a hotty, dirt, sleazy session. And he sent three messages, but initially no one replied. However, Stefano Britsy eventually replied to Semple's fourth message and they arranged a hookup at Britsy's flat. Now, is Gordon's desire for sex you know, during the working day clouding his judgment? I think it's worrying that he's actually using police time to get on the internet and finding his sex partners. And that suggests that he's actually more driven by sex than by his responsible to, to work and things like that. So now, we don't know whether something else was happening in his life at that time that suddenly made him increase arouse or whether... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormal Maladies, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
he's been arrived for a long period of time. And it's it's quite a risky thing to do, isn't it? And and this guy is a police officer, so so he's aware of, of personal safety and, and those types of things. But what this suggests to me is that he's done this quite a lot. He's done this before and nothing's gone wrong and it's been okay. So I think he's probably got into a, a bit of a false sense of security with well, it. I mean, you mentioned the fact that he's a police officer. I mean, do you think actually being a police officer may have overemphasized this false sense of security? Perhaps he, he, he felt that, that he was kind of more knowledgeable and that, that he was better aware of the risk than, than most people. But I think he was really quite quite clouded by his, his wants and his desires at this point in time. No, I disagree. I think a lot of police officers are the most cynical people you can imagine meeting. And if anybody's worked in the forensic field for a long time, you do automatically think the worst of people. So I think he would have gone in very much with his eyes open, knowing what he's doing. I agree with Liz. He's done it before. He's got experience. It's worked well. And if you look at it statistically, the chances are nothing worse than maybe a bit of physical pain is going to happen for 99.99% of the times. Gordon's final journey was captured on CCTV and we know he arrived at Britsy's central London flat at 3.03pm. From this point on, there is no online activity. But after an hour, both men began messaging on Grindr, determined to invite others in order to set up bondage party, apparently. Now, it's difficult to summarise to know what went on in that hour, but we know there was one hour when they had consensual sex, appeared to enjoy it. There were no rescue messages from Gordon Semple. There was one hour when they were happy. But this is the thing, isn't it, with Grinder? Once people go beyond that front door, we don't actually know what goes on, especially if they, they take their phones in with them. We don't know if it's that person who's using their phone or if it's the person that they're with. Everything just goes dark. But if Britsy had murder in mind, why invite others to be witnesses? But he didn't have murder on mind, would he? Why would he want to murder in front of other people? And strangers, if he was with his friends and other people involved in this and he talked about staging a homicide, yes, you can understand it. You wouldn't plan to kill somebody in front of complete strangers. You don't know how they're going to respond. You don't, you just wouldn't do it. It's so stupid. You just wouldn't risk it. So at this stage, murder was not on his mind. I don't believe so, no. But Britsy would, of course, eventually murder PC Gordon Semple and sometime during their sex games, Probably while Semple was tied up during their bondage session, Britsy strangled Semple. Was it drugs, sexual pleasure? Was it intended? I think it was probably a mixture of things. The circumstances came together where he was sexually aroused. He was certainly, from what we understand, on drugs and aroused by that. And it was an escalation of sexual arousal that I would imagine led to him wanting to be in full control and took that advantage. But we don't know whether, in fact, Gordon resisted at some point and maybe that was the excitement. Instead of playing the receptive role that he, he was advertising, maybe he did become a bit more uh, assertive and, and that caused the, the spark that set the fire going. Was the strangulation part of the sex game scenario? Potentially it was. I think that the thing that we need to remember about strangulation, it, it requires quite a lot of effort 
This is not an, an easy way to actually kill somebody. And you are going to notice that somebody is is not enjoying the sex anymore, that they are uncomfortable, that they're not happy. So, I mean, premeditation, it can be seconds in the making, you know, for this to be murder. It doesn't have to be planned out hours or days in advance. I mean, Britty responded to Gordon Semple's messages on Grinder. Does that mean that he was waiting for someone like Gordon to come around, that he was targeting Gordon? Or was Gordon just the wrong person at the wrong time? I suspect he was just the wrong person at the wrong time, and it could have been anybody. Do we get a sense that Britsy was always going to kill someone that day? Or just take the risks that made that nearly inevitable? I think somebody was probably going to come to some harm at some point as part of, of Britsy's sexual activity. But but I don't think he set out to kill anyone. I think it was because he was he was being so reckless in terms of, of his drug use and, and his kind of lack of control, essentially, that somebody was going to end up getting hurt. Yeah, somebody would have got hurt, but not necessarily killed. And it wouldn't have been that day. It could have been any day in the future. On the night of the murder, PC Gordon Semple's partner reported him missing. But as he didn't know that Gordon was on Grinder, and neither did the police, nobody checked the site. Uncharacteristically, Gordon had completely vanished. Back at Britsy's flat almost a week after the murder, neighbours were beginning to notice a foul odour emanating from the Italian's home. And one neighbour, Martin Harris, knocked on Britsy's door and confronted him. It looked like he just got out of bed. Didn't show any panic, nothing. Cool as a cucumber. And he went, no problem, he's not cooking for a friend. There were nothing in his eyes that, that would have said to her that there's a dead body in the bath. Well, the stench was the result of Britty's attempt to dispose of the corpse. As if inspired by the TV series Breaking Bad, he bought buckets, tools and acid in an attempt to destroy any evidence of the killing. This disposal... Was that pre-planned, Liz? I don't think so, no. I think he's got a a body now in his flat. He's ended up killing Gordon and now he's thinking, what am I going to do? I have a problem that I need to solve. And he's he's going about it in quite an odd way, isn't he? Because he doesn't think like most of us do at this point in time. This is somebody whose thinking is very kind of jumbled and disorganised. Well, he he goes to a nearby uh, hardware shop and tries a bucket on his head. I mean, this is a man who is not thinking straight. Well, he was thinking straight. He's trying to work out how he can dispose of the body. I, th- I think the problem was what he should have done, having killed him, Gordon, he should have rang the police and said, look, we've had a sex game, it's all gone pear shape, and I think your man's dead. He could have played that game and he would have a reasonable chance of getting away with it. Having kept the body, and I suspect he kept the body for no other reason than he was out of his head on drugs and several hours took, uh, had gone before he realised what he'd actually done. So he's now left with a body and he's got to do something with it. If we look at what's going on here, he's not disgusted by Gordon's dead body being in his flat, is he? He's quite kind of detached from, from that as a, a thing. And he's quite kind of mechanical, quite systematic in the way that he then tries to go about disposing of the body. So do we think he's getting pleasure from cutting up the corpse? Is this the extended fantasy? I think we're probably reading a little bit too much into it and attaching too much meaning here. I think this guy is absolutely off his face on methamphetamine at this point in time. Is there anything we can attach, any significance you attach to the fact that he disposed parts of the body in the River Thames and then set a small pair? Is he taking the mickey out of Catholicism? Really? 
you know, yeah. is, he not, is there not a little hint of remorse? I mean, it's what people do. He's culturally kind of conditioned to that, Liz. Well, I'd be interested in finding out is, does he think he's being watched at this time? Does he think this is going to be captured on CCTV? Is it a performance? But why would you say a prayer if you're trying to dispose of a body? You'd be trying to do the least to bring any attention to what you're doing. Well, eventually the smell just became too much and the police were called. And according to police reports at the time, when they entered the flat, they were overcome by the smell of chemicals and rotting flesh. When asked if he'd anything to say, Britsy replied, I've killed a police officer. I killed him last week. What kind of scene were the officers confronted with, Liz? It was absolutely horrendous. There was bubbling liquid in the bath. There was parts of, of Gordon's body in the bin. It really was just absolutely abhorrent. I mean, Mikey appeared to confess more or less immediately and then changed or mutated his story and claimed he didn't murder PC Semple, but that he died, Gordon had died in a tragic sex game gone wrong. Now, was he telling the truth or was he just conveniently restructuring his defence? I suspect he was restructuring his defence. He could have told the police that at the beginning, the fact that he didn't. I suspect somebody's got into his head and said, well, why did you do it? Well, this because of this, this, this and this. And then I think he's come up with that excuse. It's a very, very valid excuse, by the way, that it's an extension of a, of a sex game that goes wrong. We have come across cases where that has generally happened. And it would make sense in a defence. But having told the police that there's a police officer in the bath, I think that kind of, and I've killed him, I think that kind of weakens his argument. Mm. And the longer that he's with the police, the more kind of sober he's becoming. He's seeing Mm. the cold light of day now, and he's perhaps starting to think rationally again. I mean, the evidence against him that this was not a sex game gone wrong was, of course, the evidence of strangulation. Now... To strangle someone, as you've said before, to strangle someone, Liz, takes an awful lot of effort and there's plenty of time for you to recognise whether you're going past certain lines, parameters, borders of safety and pleasure. Yes, to take somebody's life by strangulation, you are stood in front of them with your hands around their neck and if it's it's part of, of the sex game, it's going to be quite obvious to you when, when the person is enjoying that and when the person wants to stop doing that. So you've got all of those, those visual cues that, that you can pick up on. And if we thought this would have become... Sorry, Mike. You've also got normal practices that have a safe word or a safe symbol. So it could be thumbs up and then thumbs down to stop or you actually say to somebody stop but you would in in a consensual bondage game like this you would have safety words or safety injunctions and he's ignored them or he hasn't used them and if we thought this case couldn't become even more shocking in a disturbing twist forensic examination of the scene produced more horrific revelations as tv reporter ronke phillips describes There were bite marks on Gordon Temple's ribs and, of course, there was DNA evidence on the chopsticks. So from that, the prosecution surmised that Stefano Brizzi had almost certainly taken part in some sort of cannibalism and eaten parts of Gordon Temple's body. Now, this seems to me, Mike, an extension of the fantasy. This does bring back a a, a key and core sense. This was premeditated and he must have fantasised and thought about this because one doesn't wake up in the morning, decides, you know, okay, I murdered somebody, maybe I shouldn't have, and now I'm about to eat the body. 
No, this clearly has had this fantasy for a long, long time. And the fantasy is very much, again, about control. The best way to take control over somebody is to eat them. That's the ultimate in in power. I know we talk about death about that, but... You're consuming them, aren't you? You're consuming them. The reason why this became tabloid fodder, you know, this is Silence of the Lambs. This is kind of some of the most, you know, the darkest things and horrors that television cinema can throw at us from a murder scene. But could it not be that he wanted a new experience? This is another experience. This guy's, when he's on drugs, he's always looking for new experiences, new sexual experiences. Eating somebody could be a new experience for him. And there are people who would like to try to eat people. You've got to accept that. There are people in this world who have fantasies and would, if they had the money and the opportunity, try human flesh. Well, despite his pleas of innocence, Britsy was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life with a minimum of 24 years to serve in jail. Do we think if he hadn't have been caught... Would he have killed more? Potentially he would, but he certainly wouldn't have gotten away with it. Here's somebody who is incredibly disorganised, somebody whose life is incredibly chaotic and spiralling out of control, and and people are getting hurt as he's doing so. He's not going to go undetected. He would not become a serial killer. Uh, Liz is right, he would have been caught quite quickly because of his incompetence. But social media was crucial to the commission of this crime. It was something that, that allowed Britsy to meet Gordon, wasn't it? And had it not been for that, perhaps they wouldn't have, have met in the first place. But I think it's what social media enables here. It's these discreet meets, it's these quick hookups, it's, it's this idea of people as products that you can pick off the shelf and use and then discard. Was Britsy a psychopath, Mike? He certainly had psychopathic tendencies, the lack of any emotions, the lack of feelings towards people. He seemed to be very cold, very calculating when he was before he got into drugs. But on the other hand, that's also the characteristics. He needs to be, if he's going to go into finance, banking, things like that. We always assume psychopaths are bad, but there are a lot of people who use psychopathic techniques and are very successful. There is that that idea, isn't there, that obsession with the psychopathic murderer, but not all psychopaths are murderers, not all murderers are psychopaths. There's only a small overlap in the middle, isn't there? We now know, during the making of the documentary, and I was very close to the scene of the murder when we heard the news that Britsy, having just served two months of a sentence on the 5th of February 2017, he took his own life in Belmarsh Prison. Does this tell us that he wasn't a psychopath, that he'd finally confronted with the horrors of his crimes? Or you could say that actually the lack of emotion that he feels towards other people, it also equally translates to himself. He he places as little value on his own life as he does on other people's. Got a man who's into control, he doesn't want to spend the next 20 years of his life out of control. When he's in prison, they tell him what to do, drink, eat, think and everything else. Here is a man who wants to be in control, therefore self-abuse or suicide are the only ways he can exercise total control over his life. Liz, explain your typography of uh, social media killers and where does Stefano Brizzi fit in this? Well I've done quite a lot of research looking at how people who commit murder have used social media in relation to those crimes and one of the groups that that I established was predators and now these are people who use social media to make contact with their victims to find out information about their victims and essentially to gain access to them and I definitely say that Brizzi is a predator. 
Thank you to my guests. That's uh, clinical forensic psychologist Mike Berry and, of course, to Dr. Elizabeth Yardley. And you can watch the full documentary of Click for Murder, Stefano Brizzi on CBS Reality. From me, Donald McIntyre, for now, goodbye. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.